0: We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Ken Crush, Kathy Holtzlander, and Lyle Orchard. One of the interesting things for me in doing Talking Radical Radio over the last year and a half has been getting the chance to develop a better sense of how different kinds of struggles and movements and organizing are distributed across the country. It's not that there's any place in Canada that women aren't resisting sexism and misogyny, workers aren't struggling against lousy pay and lousy working conditions, people of color aren't resisting racism, and so on. But the ways in which struggles against these things happen, and how they're made collective and publicly visible, varies a great deal in different places. But one thing that seems to be going on pretty much wherever you look, and not only going on, but going on in public, collective, confrontational ways, is struggles against the kinds of damage that industries based on extracting natural resources do to people, communities, and the environment. In Saskatchewan, Fortune Minerals, a company you might have heard of because of the high-profile resistance they're facing from the Talton Nation to another project in BC, wants to build a plant to process ore from a new mine that they're planning on opening in the Northwest Territories. They want to situate this plant on agricultural land near two small Saskatchewan towns, Langham and Dalmany, a little ways north of Saskatoon. And the residents of these towns, well, they mostly don't like the idea. From some truly impressive public education work, to a willingness to challenge the company and the government, even to the extent of takeovers of public meetings, these residents are determined that this plant is not going to get built. Though they received a major setback late last year when the provincial government gave environmental approval, the relevant municipal authority has yet to grant the necessary zoning change and their hopes of victory at that stage remain high. I speak with Crush Holtzlander and Orchard about the communities, the plant and the threat it poses to the environment, and the resistance. I spoke with them by Skype to phone from Saskatoon and Langham. My name is Kathy
1: Holtzlander, I live in Saskatoon and my partner Lyle Orchard, who you will be speaking to, is based in Langham with his woodworking shop. So I'm connected to the community through my relationship with Lyle.
2: Lyle Orchard here. As Kathy said, uh, I have a base in Langham. That's the community closest to the proposed plant. I have a residence and woodworking shop there.
3: My name is Ken Crush, and I'm a retired educator. I came to Langham in 1983 as an elementary school teacher. Retired in 2001, and I uh, and my wife uh, have a small farm, which is probably about 2.5 kilometers from the proposed site. And so we have uh, a personal interest in this issue as well as a community issue as well. The group, I think, started probably shortly after the news came out and there was an open house presented by Fortune Minerals. I didn't attend the very first meeting. I think I came to the second meeting. The group itself is very widespread in terms of ages. I would say, in terms of politicalness. We have people who uh, are conservative, uh, right down to people who are probably from the Green Party in Saskatchewan. And we've come together because we have a common issue here. There's dairy farmers, there are ranchers, there are professors at the science campus, acreage owners, business owners. So it's a really wide-ranging group. We have a youth that comes from Dalmany and grade 11 youth that's there every night at the meetings as well. And his family.
1: But the common, real common thing that brings people together is concern about water and environmental issues in general. But I think the water risk is something that everybody feels strongly about.
2: The proposed plant is supposed to be built, to the, the company bought land that it's situated. It's closer to Langham, but see, the towns of Langham and Dalmany are only about 10 miles apart, and the plant is a little closer to Langham. It's about two miles, but that means it's quite close to Dalmany as well. Eh? That also makes it about 17 miles or so from Saskatoon, north of Saskatoon. But our main attraction has been within that local area. Langham uses the water off from the aquifer that the plant is, would be directly atop, Dalmany does not because they get their water from Saskatoon. So initially, it seemed that we had less support in Dalmany or just assumed it appeared that way at first. But it it turned out to have not been the case, especially it has everything to do with the people who got involved from Dalmany have been hard workers and, and, and good organizers. So the issue has always been a local issue. Saskatoon has been peripherally involved.
3: Both our communities are small communities. Like Langham is about 1,200 people. And I would say Dalmany is 2,000 plus. And this land that they bought is agricultural land. It's right in the middle of agricultural area. In fact, right next door is the Saskatoon Berry Farm. So we're looking at a very rural setting. Good, productive land in terms of agricultural. And sitting right over top, uh, what we call the Dalmany Aquifer, which is the main source of fresh water for the farmers and the town of Langham.
0: And it was community events where you first heard about uh, their intention to build this plant?
1: They weren't really community events. They were mandated by the government to hold community information sessions as part of their environmental assessment (laughs) review process. So they held these two meetings in Dalmany and Langham in 2010. And it was your typical setup with chairs set up in the community hall and a podium at the front and they had displays set up along the side at the back. And they had a PowerPoint presentation. They showed their slides and they had a couple of guys there to answer questions. And at that meeting, there were a few people in the audience that were really keen to see this thing get developed. I think the main word that they heard was the word gold, because gold is one of the metals that they want to refine out of the ore that they want to bring from the Northwest Territories. But a number of people in the audience also picked up on inconsistencies in the story it seemed like it was too good to be true you know they're going to do all this amazing processing and make all this money and they're going to look after everything and there wasn't going to be any problems yet on their displays when you read them you could see like well gee uh, for one thing they were only going to make their wastewater storage ponds to handle a 1 in 50 year precipitation event well that year That was going to be the wettest year ever. At that point, we had had, in prior years, some very big rainstorms. We'd started to have these one in 100-year rainstorms a couple of times a summer. So we're thinking, well, gee, that's a little weak, just one in 50 years. That was one of the questions. We could see that there were some questioning people in the room. Lyle and I went to this meeting together, and we saw Ken stand up at the front corner wearing his cowboy hat and ask a good question, and a few other people in the room asked them hard questions, and, and the company kind of responded in a way that made you feel they were trying to string you a line, not really being that, you know, it didn't seem like they were being that honest with us, to be frank. As a result of that, we knew that we weren't the only ones that had some questions. And having those questions motivated us to look for some answers. And I guess a few weeks later, I'm not really sure exactly how the first meeting got called, but there was a couple that had a good location, you know, nice big room that they could gather a group in. And we met there, and that's how our group formed and we really uh, have continued to be connected and note certain key point during the environmental impact assessment process and intervened and done our research, asked our questions and raised awareness in the community ever since that time.
3: The provincial government, they sold this project to the towns of Langham and Balmain. They came out and said, your towns are going to expand, there's going to be 80 people or plus working at this plant your towns are really going to benefit economically from this. And so the two towns picked up on that and said, well, we need our towns to grow, we need grocery stores, we need these kinds of services in our community. If this company is going to help us do that, that's a plus. And I think initially they were blindsided with economical development that's going to happen. And they sort of ignored and well, it wasn't spoken about the side effects that could have happened because of fortune minerals. And so as a group, we felt that Well, we have to work towards making people more aware of what is actually happening here in this processing plant and how it could affect our community other than economically. And so we started looking at the environmental issues. Our goal, I think, as a committee was to sort of make the public aware of what Fortune Minerals is planning to do and how it may affect the community economically, environmentally, politically, the whole scope.
1: One of the first things that we did as a group, as a project, was we put together an information pamphlet. The uh, company had had to submit an environmental impact assessment, kind of a draft statement to the government, and that was posted on the website. So that was our main source of information, but it was written in very technical language. So what we did was we tried to boil down the technical language and the jargon and figure out what the main things, the main themes were and put them in language that people can understand and explain in clear language exactly what was in this environmental assessment report. One of our group members is a good graphic designer, and she uh, was able to put the information into an attractive format, and we got it in the mailboxes of everybody who gets their mail in Langham and Dalmany. That actually really made an impact, and we heard people starting to talk about the amount of water that this plant was going to use and some of the chemicals that they were going to be bringing into the community and storing on the site or using in their processing. People started talking about that in their social circles and on coffee Road, and it did start getting people thinking that maybe this isn't all just about getting rich off the gold. Maybe there's some more to it.
2: We did two leaflets in the course of the four years, one in 2011 and the second in 2013. We made an attempt, I think a very successful attempt, to explain things simply, but to try and cram all that into two sides the second leaflet was very similar information as the first one, but enough time had gone by between the two, and it had a much more hard-hitting look to it, like a kind of a scary-looking industrial site on the front of the leaflet, as opposed to the first one was much more like for-your-information type stuff. And as Kathy said, you really noted people basically quoting directly from the leaflet, So I think that was a key point to getting people in the area aware and talking and motivated to be concerned about this issue.
3: I think one of the first things we did as a committee, we gave some direction to the Department of Environment because the Department of Environment appeared to us being quite lax about saying to Fortune Minerals, here's what we need to hear from you. Kathy was very instrumental in saying, we need to ask much more serious questions about that. So we put together some letters, and I think there was about 11 people wrote letters to the Department of Environment and said, no, you've got to ask more stringent, tougher questions of fortune minerals in terms of when they complete their environmental assessment. So that was sort of the first thing that we did. And we were fortunate there that the Department of Environment listened to us and did ask those questions. So fortune minerals had to come up with a much more in-depth environmental assessment than they would have if we hadn't had that input.
1: And it took the company about another two years before they had a final environmental assessment to submit to the government, which I don't think they were expecting. I think they thought they'd just be able to resubmit their draft and that would be good enough.
2: The reason this has dragged on so long, the initial flurry was when they did those PR meetings back in 2010. But then they they really went very quiet. I mean, that's why it was two years before we did another leaflet. Because from what we could understand, they were trying to get approvals for the actual mine up in Northwest Territories and were having difficulties up there because the Aboriginal community in which it was to be situated in had some grave concerns as well. And it's only due to a basically gutted environmental reviews that are going on around in Canada that they have been able to get it passed up there without a real full public review.
0: What did you do to deal with how technical it all is and how hard it is to get through all of that jargon to understand what they're really talking about?
1: Back in 2010, when the draft document came out, I read it like I've got some science background and I've worked enough on issues in my job over the years that I have enough basic understanding to kind of get the gist of it but there was words in this document that I didn't understand. So I just did this exercise, I went through it, and I summarized it in plain language for myself because I wanted to see, okay, what chemicals are they using? What does their process actually do? And by going through that, I did feel like I had a good handle on what they were proposing. And I could also see places where they were minimizing the dangers. For one thing, They use the term clodotite to refer to a chemical. Well, I don't know what clodotite is. And probably a lot of people would just go, oh, well, that's another big word that I don't know, and carry on. Well, it turns out that this is another name for arsenic trioxide, which is a type of arsenic that they use in rat poison. It's highly soluble and extremely toxic. And if they had put arsenic trioxide in their statement, people would go, out, wow, that sounds really dangerous. But when they use words like clodotite, people go, well, I don't know what that is, and they just skip it. So every single word in that document that I didn't know, I looked up. That's also where I uncovered the actinolite. They said 2% of the waste in the waste pits was going to be actinolite. Well, that's the word I didn't know, so I looked it up. Well, it turns out that actinolite is a form of asbestos, or it can be. So anyways, yeah, the company was trying to get away with presenting information in an obscure fashion, using language and terminology that regular people wouldn't understand. So we basically used some pretty standard research skills. You read stuff and look up the words that you don't understand and make notes. I think it's important to know that it's really not that hard to do. I mean, you do need a little bit of education, probably a high school education in physics and chemistry to understand. But, you know, people should not be intimidated. If you have a technical document that you have to look at, just break it down into parts, read it one sentence at a time, and look up all the words that you don't understand, and it'll come together. And also talk to people that know more about this.
0: So tell me more about the kinds of public conversations that have happened over the years among not necessarily people who are involved in your group, but just people who live in the affected communities. And I'm thinking particularly of the way that these things often play out with, you know, there's concern about the environment, but then there's also the pull of jobs.
1: The interesting thing is Langham and Dalmany are both bedroom communities for Saskatoon. And the reason some of the new people are moving there is because they have jobs in Saskatoon and they want to live in a nice small community that's friendly and peaceful. And so there really isn't an unemployment problem in Dalmany and Langham.
3: As people in both communities have learned about the process, they are more concerned about the environment than the jobs. I go to copyright quite frequently just to hear what people have to say. And they don't talk about the lack of jobs. They talk about what's going to happen when the water's gone, what's going to happen when it does get poisoned. That's what they're talking about.
2: I was going to say that the next process that happened just last December was the final offer for the public to submit. And Ken uh, was instrumental in organizing a a local meeting in Langham, a letter-writing meeting, really is what it amounted to, had a few speakers, including Kathy, just local people, and then encouraged people to take. We took envelopes that were pre-addressed, and it was an amazing success. Over 150 people came out, and by the deadline of December 6th, they had received 257 letters of opposition, really, that having compared to the 11 that went in in the initial stages, which was really all members of our group. So there was a real groundswell growing there. Unfortunately, a provincial government seemed to totally ignore all of that and approve uh, the plant anyway. The provincial government came out with a twelve page approval of the project. It appeared to many of us who read it. They just simply lifted sentences directly from Fortune Mineral's environmental impact statement, it even had some gross errors in it. We felt that this government approval was very shoddy. Plus, we felt it was an inside job because, coincidentally, the very day that this approval uh, came out publicly, Fortune Minnows announced a public meeting to be held in Langham the next week. So we realized that Fortune Minnows had known all along they were going to get approved, or at least they had known for some time. People got angry. uh, In our group, we were angry. So that meeting of February uh, following this approval that Fortune Minnows, I believe, was required to have another public meeting, This time, they did it without a microphone. They set it up almost like a trade show. They had 13 stations around the hall, large community hall, with the PR people and glossy photographs and slides set up totally so that people would not have a chance to ask questions that everyone could hear. We had anticipated that, and we came fairly prepared. Over uh, 250 people came to that meeting, and I would say, if not 99, then 95% of the crowd was opposed to the project. But Fortune was somewhat successful in having people go and ask their individual questions. So, p- halfway through the meeting, some of us kind of took control of it. First, we asked to use a mic. The company wouldn't let us use it. In fact, they threatened us that that would be illegal if we used the hall mic without the permission. So uh, we uh, pulled a chair in front of a white wall and uh, jumped on the chair, addressed the crowd. Two-thirds of, three-quarters of the crowd turned around and started listening to us. We just had to talk loudly at the top of our lungs. And uh, one after another, there turned out to be a dozen people, uh, one after another, stood on that chair and spoke to the crowd to thunderous applause. And so this was really, I think, an event where the public felt really encouraged to believe that we could fight this company. I think that was a real turning point in terms of the local public getting involved. We also had a demonstration outside. We had placards handed out, uh, leaflets.
0: Holtzlander, Orchard, and Crush also talked about a second public information session that the company was mandated to hold in this period. This time, the company allowed for a tightly moderated session of questions and answers, or statements from the public and responses from company officials. Security presence was much higher, and demands for decorum from the facilitator were many and insistent. While the activists felt that this meeting continued the momentum of demonstrating the overwhelming public opposition to the plant, in the media, the company used the fact that decorum was more or less maintained as a basis for claiming a, quote, silent majority, end quote, in favor. So after that meeting, is the next stage after that the zoning question?
1: But well, once the provincial government approved the environmental impact assessment, the next barrier that Fortune Minerals has to overcome is rezoning. So, as soon as that announcement was made, then the focus shifts to the rural municipality's authority over zoning.
2: So, we then, uh, in, a, in our planning group, then decided to completely focus on the RM and on educating the public and to pressure the RM. One of our key uh, strategies there is to formulate a petition, not a legally binding petition requesting a plebiscite. It's uh, requesting that the RM refuse to rezone the property. And we got mobilized and have had petition drives in Langham and Martinsville and up in a mall in Dalmany and many people, uh, local people driving around the country. That has been a key strategy we're using not only to get the petition numbers, but also as an educating tool because you get out there, you're talking to people, they sign their name, and then they, you know they're with us, you know? And it makes people feel like they can do something, have done something. They tell the neighbors, very few people, once they hear about the petition or know about it, refuse to sign.
1: And that gives voice to that so-called silent majority. They may not have stood up at a microphone, but by signing a petition, they gain a voice. And many people have said to members of our group, thank you for doing this. Thank you for everything you're doing. So I find that really encouraging and inspiring.
2: I should mention that the, you know, the Internet has been a very handy tool for us. We have an email list. In that letter writing meeting referred to back in December, we had people put down emails. We built it from that and other sources. So we have a uh, quite a large email list that we can get notices out quickly, and that way we can organize uh, these, to say, a petition drive in the town. People come out, and then we also have a uh, blog, an education tool that is being used to people can sign into the blog and get more information about various environmental concerns and the company and things like that.
3: We're kind of stymied by it right now. We thought Fortune Minerals would be at the RM Council table immediately upon getting their approval from the government, and they have not been there. And so we have this petition, and we're continually doing that, waiting for Fortune Minerals to come to the RM table and say that we want to now ask for rezoning of this land and they haven't come to the table yet. And we're not sure why they haven't done that. We feel somewhat confident that we do have a majority of counselors on our side. They do not want to be saying anything publicly yet. That's wise of them, because if they start speaking publicly against Fortune Minerals, Fortune Minerals will say, well, you're you're biased already, before we even came. So they're trying to keep themselves mum. Our hopes are that we can get them convinced that this is a decision that should not be made for our community.
2: Our strategy is to wait until they have uh, asked for the rezoning uh, and we will then present our petition so it'll be kind of a, like a final coup that we have. Council members have come to this, especially this last public meeting where the questions and uh, answers and statements were made. Also, we sat in on a council meeting. We could not answer questions when Fortune Minerals was presenting their PR. And our sense was that the councilors, uh, several of them, are very opposed, and some are concerned. Personally, I think Fortune Minerals is afraid they'll be turned down and does not want to be turned down because they're still trying to raise funding in Asia and China for this project. They do not want any bad news on that front, so I think they're trying to string it along as long as they can. Maybe a a little bit of a challenge is to keep our momentum up because the momentumless winter and the resistance has been the strongest by far. And so everybody wants to know when are they going to the RM. And the process being that even if the RM approved it in first reading, it has to go to second and to third reading. At second reading, they are required to have public hearings, so we would then organize people to come and speak to the council, and we would try to get dozens and dozens and dozens of people to speak against it. We hope it doesn't go to that because we're all busy people. We've put a tremendous amount of time into this. We all have jobs and careers, so we're hoping the council would turn it down at first reading, but if not, that would be the next step we'd have to organize people to get to that public hearing and to present their concerns. This has really not been a not in our backyard fight. many people, especially at this last meeting where there was we had the three minute statements. people spoke eloquently one one gentleman saying, "Well, he's in his sixties. he may never see a problem with the arsenic. He may not live long enough, but he said it's these children, that little girl standing here. I don't know her, but he says, she's why I'm doing this. This has been a really a fight from the heart with the locals for the future. Very few people are saying, well, it's not going to be good for me tomorrow. They're saying this is not going to be good for future generations, and we feel an obligation to fight it now. So we will, uh, we will win this one way or another.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Ken Crush, Kathy Holtzlander, and Lyle Orchard, who have been working hard to oppose the plans by Fortune Minerals to put an ore processing plant on agricultural land between the small towns of Langham and Dalmany, Saskatchewan. To find out more about their work, go to fortunemineralsconcern.wordpress.com. That's all one word, fortunemineralsconcern.wordpress.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca.